0: We're in uh, Malachi chapter two today Malachi chapter two, last book of the Old Testament there just to the left of the Gospel of matthew <clears throat> and um, we're going to pick up where uh, where we left off a couple of weeks ago as you're making your way there by uh, by way of introduction, tell you a brief story and in nineteen ninety four i was uh I was working as a paramedic, and I was dispatched to a traffic collision uh, out in the uh, Lake Matthews area, and uh, the call came in uh, that there was, uh, was a car that had gone off the road uh, and rolled over, and so uh, we responded, and it was nighttime, uh, by this time it was well after midnight, and, uh, and so... Um, you know, we went to the general area, it took us a while to to find the area, and where it was, was a, a road that uh, went down kind of adjacent to the lake, and then uh, it reached a point where it kind of dead-ended, and you could either go left or right. Well, uh, in, in the darkness, what had happened is the car had just gone right straight, and, and flew off the end of the road down an embankment and it had rolled. And in fact, there was one car involved, but there were in fact two cars uh, that were involved. They were both filled with teenagers. We had a multi-casualty incident. Uh, Several of them were unfortunately hurt critically. We had, uh, if I recall correctly, one fatality. Um, And um, the investigation that followed basically revealed that the driver of the lead car was intoxicated uh, and that uh, he was driving too fast. Interestingly, the car that was behind him, that driver was, st- was sober. Uh, but uh, what they discerned was that that car was following too close and when the lead car went over the end of the road, uh, this other one just blindly followed him right behind and they both, uh, they both crashed. It's a perfect description of what's happening here in Malachi chapter 2. Because what's happening as we're in Malachi chapter 2, well, what we see is that God's people, they're, they're going off the road. And, and what's happening is they're crashing spiritually, crashing religiously, crash, crashing socially, all because they've lost their reverence for God. And it all begins with the leader, it all begins with the priests, with the ones that are supposed to be out in front. They go off the road first, and the people follow right behind. And, and the big idea of our text today, we're basically going to be uh, looking at these two points. The first point is that we need to be careful who, who we follow. And the second point is we need to be careful how we follow. That's the whole big idea, this second chapter, and that's what we're going to look at. Who you follow and how you follow. Malachi chapter 2, verse 1, and now, O priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces the refuse of your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace. And I gave them to him that he might fear me. And so he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth and Injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and turned many away from from, uh, iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way, you have caused many to stumble at the law, and you have corrupted The covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Now he says you have corrupted the covenant of Levi. God had established the covenant of the priesthood with the tribe of Levi because Levi feared the Lord. That's the job of a priest. The job of a priest is is the same as the job of a a pastor today. It's, It's someone that's to fear the Lord and proclaim the message from God. That's, that's that's what you should always hear when, when you come to church, when you sit under a pastor's teaching, what you should, what you should hear is, is not ten steps to a better you. What you should hear is, is not a message of how you should win friends and influence people or how you, know, you can uh, overcome you know, stress or adversity or whatever the topic, the flavor of the week is. That's not what you should hear when you come to church. That's not what you should hear when you're sitting under a pastor. What you should hear when you're sitting under a pastor is open your Bibles, I have a message from the Lord for you. That's what you should hear. So critically important that when, when the pastor steps into the pulpit that he's proclaiming the message of the Lord. You think of the Apostle Paul. What did he say? He said to the Corinthians, That which I have received from the Lord, I also deliver unto you. That should always be the means of communication to the church. God, through his servant, proclaiming his word to his people. That's, that's the way that God has designed it to be. And, and in verses five through seven, and I'm, and and I'm not going to expand on this, but I just want you to note that Levi, this man who feared the Lord, this priest that God had called and who he cites now saying, look, here's a contrast. Let me give you a poster child picture and you're ain't you you're not matching this. Here's, here's the guy and here's the qualities that he possessed and this is what you priests are supposed to possess and you're missing it. And for you, I just note, hey, look, these are six exemplary traits of a good pastor that the Lord emphasizes in Levi." Number one, he feared God. Secondly, he was truthful in his speech. The Lord says, thirdly, that he had an obedient walk with God. Fourthly, he had an intimate relationship with God. Fifth, he he had a burden to help people turn from sin and come to Christ. And sixth, he had a passion to share God's word with others who need to hear it. These are the, the admirable traits the qualities that these priests should have possessed, that God wanted them to possess. And it's the litmus test for any pastor that we're going to put ourselves under, if we're going to sit under their teaching. George MacDonald said this, he says, Nothing is so deadening to the divine as the habitual dealing with the outside of spiritual things. In other words, when a priest or a pastor's life doesn't match up with the sermon that they're, that they're preaching, the message rings hollow. Worse, it leads people off the path. It leads them away from God. When they're dealing with the outside of spiritual things, when you're hearing the 10 ways to a better you, or you're hearing how you can overcome stress, or some other topical, whatever it is, and it's not the, here's God's word, here's the message from God for his people, what's going to happen is it's just this shallow, hollow outside of things that you're being equipped with, and before you know it, you're gonna follow this ugly teaching, this, this, this anemic teaching, Right off the end of the the road, and you're gonna train wreck your life. And so so this is the idea. And sadly, this is exactly what's going on in Malachi's day. So the, the first thing that we have to look at, and the first point I'd have you write down if you're taking notes, is that we need to be careful who we follow. Need to be careful who you follow. Now let me ask you a question: God owns the church, does He not? Absolutely, he does. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, "I will build my church." But God uses men to do His work. See, for for over over 100 years ago, there's a guy named Ian e. Bounds. He wrote a book called Power Through Prayer. I highly recommend it. By the way, great book. He says this in that book. He says, "Men are God's method, and while the church is looking for better methods, God is looking for better men." And this is why, before Jesus indicated that he would build his church in Matthew 16, he first identified who he was going to use to accomplish the work in. Now, here's how the story goes. They're on the road to Caesarea Philippi, and there in Caesarea Philippi, they're surrounded by all of these different idols to all of these different gods. And with this as a backdrop, Jesus now turns to his disciples and he says, Who who do people, who do men say say that I, the Son of God, am? And so they begin to answer. And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And at this point, Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds to him. And he said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, Jesus continues in Matthew 16, verse 18, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of, of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now the point isn't that Jesus built his church on Peter. Some people maintain that's what this says and that's what it's all about and that's the big idea. That's not the point. The point of this exchange in Jesus' words is that he builds his church on men who profess him. He builds his church on men who honor him, who glorify him, who lift up Jesus Christ, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's who Jesus Christ builds his church on is those those pastors those, those men of God that are going to hold up Jesus Christ, the words that he spoke, and they're going to proclaim and, and, and declare him and point all men to him, that's who Jesus builds his church on. Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, God has designed the church, for better or for worse, to be led by Spirit-filled men. And if the men that God calls to lead the church, if the pastors that God calls to lead His church are yielded to the Holy Spirit, and they do a good job, well, in that instance, then the money is well spent, people are well served, the people meet Jesus, they're baptized, they grow in their faith, and they begin to mature as disciples of Christ. And generally speaking, good things happen within that body of believers. But conversely, if the men leading the church aren't yielded to the Holy Spirit, then bad things happen, people get hurt, and the name of Christ is mocked. And this is precisely the problem here in Malachi. Leaders are not yielded to God. Therefore, he says in verse 9, I also have made you contemptible... And base before all the people. He's speaking to these corrupt priests because you have not kept my ways but have shown partiality in the law. Notice that. The Lord says, hey, because you've behaved this way, because you've corrupted the covenant of Levi, you haven't revered me, you haven't honored me, you haven't behaved yourself in a way that brings me the the glory, the honor, and the the preeminence that, that I deserve as God because you haven't Conducted yourself that way. I've made you contemptible. And he says, I've made you base before all the people. The idea there is that what's going to happen is that the people pretty soon are going to see through the, the, the fakers and the phonies that they are and they're going to see them for what they are. And they're going to have contempt for them. And I'll tell you... Um, when I was over in Ireland, this is precisely what I saw. I and mean, we had the opportunity there to to do a considerable amount of ministry. And one of the things that I did, just hit in, I hit the ground running. Man, we we had a men's conference. Uh, you know, the, 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 the very next day that the, that I got there I got there in the evening, and the very next day we had a men's conference. And uh, and so I ta- taught a couple of sessions at the men's conference, and, the, and in between the sessions, I sat down. And I had a meal with, with several of the men that were at my table and, and we were talking. And I had this discussion, this one discussion with, with one of the guys. And he was telling me about how the scandal within the Catholic Church has completely rocked the people there. Southern Ireland is predominantly Catholic. And and so, uh, and we, some amazing things happened while we were there. One of the Catholic churches actually opened up their doors to us and, and said, we're going to invite all of our people, will you do the service? And so we provided the worship, we provided the gospel, like both barrels, man, just proclaim the word of God. It was beautiful, it was awesome. And um, And so... You know, anyway, getting back to my point, I'm having this meal with this guy, and he's telling me all the that's happened within the people there of his community. And basically, what he's telling me is that there is a a, a level of contempt for for the church as a whole. Any anybody who, who proclaims to be a follower of God and a, a servant of God and a man who's speaking for God, whether it's the Catholic Church, whether it's the Protestant Church, whatever it is. There are so many people that the, that the scandal has left such a bad taste in their mouth that they want nothing to do with God. And, and, and it's, it's, it's just the, the embodiment of, of what we see here in verse 9, and they're living it out. And I'll tell you what, it's not limited to Ireland, is it? I mean, I, I was just testing out this theory. You can test out this theory if you want. I, yesterday, I just went on, and I started going to, to you know, Fox News or CNN News, and they all, they, whatever news story it is, and, and almost universally, it could be a news story about, you know, somebody saving a cat out of a tree. I don't know. And you go, there's comments under underneath every news story, and inevitably, the comments turn to an anti-Christian rant, almost universally, almost any news story that you go to. Test me out on this. So I, I took it for a walk yesterday, about 80% of the time, it, the comments go to... You know, some debate, some anti-Christian rant. And and people are this way because largely what has happened is that the the there are such, a, I don't want to say a majority, but there's such a number of people who have abused their position, their authority as Christian leaders, and they've given the world so much ammunition to mock and despise the things of God. It should not be that way. And yet it is. Why? Well, because there are people that have completely forsaken the Lord. And so we say, well, what precipitated this here? It's the same thing that precipitates it now. And you can see that revealed in verse 2. If you turn back there, and what do we see in verse 2? Well, this is what God says. If you will not hear and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you. So, so the, the basically, the problem with the Christian leaders is they had two fundamental problems, is that they had closed ears and they had hard hearts. Closed ears and hard hearts. Now, the Bible here connects our hearts and our ears. And the idea is that listening to God requires both. It requires an open heart and open ears to the things that the Lord would have to say. The truth needs to come in And then it needs to sink in. Now, the problem is, is not everybody wants to hear the truth, do they? Not everybody wants to hear the truth. Not even those who are in a position of religious authority. There's not everyone who's open to the truth. Because basically, you know, when you have somebody who's resistant to the truth, it isn't because they don't understand the truth, it's that they don't like the truth. That's the basic problem with those who are resistant to the truth. It's not that they don't understand it, it's that they don't like it. Now, I'll illustrate this with a recent story. This is a, this is a, this is a, a real experience that, that happened to me recently. I had a conversation with someone and, and we were talking about the issue of sexual sin. And, and basically I said, look, the Bible has a lot to say about sexual sin has a lot to say about it. And I said, basically, the general idea is that we're to repent and abstain. That's the, that's the big idea of sexual sin. That's what the Bible has to say. And and in in supporting my case, and this was a long conversation, and I'm just kind of giving you the, the synopsis, but in in, in in summarizing my case, I, I quoted uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. I'll put it on the screen for you. Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Those are sobering words. The idea is if you continue in a lifestyle of these activities, it's not if, oh, I've done these things, I repent, Lord forgive me, He His his blood covers all sin. And so, you know, if we confess our sins, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've looked at that. And that word confess is key because, among other things, it means that we call sin what God calls sin. Confess means to agree with God. And so we agree with God that that what he calls sin, I'm going to call sin. I'm not going to call it, well, that's your truth and this is my truth. I'm going to say God calls that sin, I have to call that sin. And so in this list that Paul is providing here, the idea is, look, if you are habitually caught up in this, if, if these are behaviors that you are not confessing that sin, but you're just, you're just winking at it and swink, sweeping it under the rug, then you, you got issues and you need to think about that because if, if that's going to be your attitude, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That is a sobering statement. Now, this is the conversation, the person I'm talking to, basically the response is, well, my God is a God of love, not of hate. And I said, listen, truth only sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. And, and, and so the thing is, you need to understand the truth is that God loves you and he draws the line at things that are going to hurt you. And, and so you, you need to, you need to get this and you need to understand this. Well, this is exactly what's going on here. The leaders, they're involved in sexual sin. They're divorcing their wives and they're trading them in for younger models. And, and so they're, they're saying, you know, here's my, here's my 40 year old wife, my 50 year old wife. And look, here's a 20 year old, uh, pagan gal and I'll take the next model. Thank you very much. And they're doing this, but they think that they can remake God in their own image. Basically, here's the attitude. What they think is, hey, you know, I'm, I'm the pastor of, of, of Reliance Church, and so you know what? I'm tired of my wife, guys, so I, I got a new model. I got a 20-year-old, uh, so who's going to be at church next Sunday? Because I'm going to be teaching on, and all of you would go, come on, please, really? And, and, and I hope you would say that. I hope you would walk out the door after you, you know, strung me up. That's what I hope you would do. It's not always what happens. Hey, guys, listen. There are people and churches that, that, that give standing ovations to people who have, who have blatantly been involved in sexual sin and now they're on to the new model. And their congregations say, are you going to be preaching next week? Because I, you know, I love the way you preach kind of thing. And this is exactly what's going on here. These guys think they can remake God in their own image. Look, we think that way too sometimes. There are times when we think, you know what? God's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a forgiving God. Yeah, He is all of those things. But you have to have the fear of the Lord in your life. I mean, you can't just live your life like, oh, I've got the grace card. Grace covers everything. I got got an unlimited, there is no maximum limit on this grace card, and so I can live any way I want. I can just wink at my sin because, you know what, God died for it all, so it's all good. Read the book of Romans. Paul's like, that is not the way it works. Yes, God's grace covers all sin, but we can't just use his grace as a license to live any way we darn well please, and that's what these leaders are doing this. They've got closed ears, they've got hard hearts. And the truth needs to come in and it needs to sink in and it's not doing that at all. So verse 10, here's what's going on. Malachi says to these guys, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the father's? It, it, we, the, the Lord is our God He's, he, he's all, of our, all of us We have His you know, commandments His standards we, we have an obligation To worship Him with our lives What you think you can live Any way you want to live Why do you do this kind of stuff And he continues Judah verse 11 Has dealt treacherously And an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob, the man who does this, being awake and aware yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And what he's saying there is, look, it's not just the priests that are doing this. It's bad enough that they've driven off the cliff, but all the people they've followed in that car right behind them, right on their six, right on their tail, man. And then the priests went down, and they went down, and everybody's dealing this way, and all of the attitude among the guys is, you know what? My wife was great when we were younger, but now I need the newer model. And so this is the way they're behaving. And they're in sexual perversion and sin. Verse 13, Malachi continues. He says, and this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. And yet, verse 14, you say, for what reason because the lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you had have dealt treacherously. It's an interesting thing when he says there in verse 13 that you cover the altar of the lord with tears with weeping and with crying. Listen to me, this is the here's the picture. What he's saying is you guys are, are caught up in sexual sin. You think you can remake God in your own image. You think you can live any way you darn well please and just, just trade your wife in and just continue as business as usual and making sacrifices on the altar and having this form of religious, religiousness, this outside, the, the, the outward appearance of spiritual things. And yet what's happening is I'm the one, God would say, who hears your devastated wives as they come to the altar, they're weeping, and they're just broken. And some of you women know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been in that position. You've suffered that kind of hurt. And the Lord says, I'm the one that, that hears the, 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 all of the weeping and the, and the anguish and the, and the broken heart. These women who've just been cast aside. He continues, he says, The end of verse 14, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed. To your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. As if what these priests are doing isn't bad enough. Even worse, they're, they're leading the people to follow them in their sin, as we looked at. God talks about, you know, it's it's the whole nation of Judah. They're, they're, everybody's acting this way. The priests have done this, they've set the example, people are following in their footsteps. I've seen this happen i 've seen churches where where numbers of pastors on staff have have you know gotten divorced and 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 left their wives and, and all and and what What happens inevitably is that Not only do they have the audacity to continue doing the things that they've done, but also the people follow after them. And then now what they've just done is they've given people license within the congregation to say, well, if it's good enough for the pastor to divorce his wife, to put her away and to get somebody else, well, then I can follow in in those footsteps as well. Charles Spurgeon said this, he says, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and doctrine disagree, the massive onlookers accept his practice and they reject his preaching. In other words, people follow what you do, they don't follow what you say. This has massive implications. We're talking about the leaders of the church, but listen, all of you are leaders in some capacity. Dads, your kids, are, are, they're not going to hear what you say. They're going to hear what you do. They're going to hear the way you're living your life out. Brings us to our second point. We need to be careful how we follow. We need to be careful how we follow. Again, go back, uh, look again, verse 2. <clears throat> Very interesting here. Listen to what God says through the prophet Malachi to these people. He says in verse 2, If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, <clears throat> to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. Now that word blessings there in in, in verse 2, very interesting word. It, it literally means well, it, it, it means benediction or, or an invocation of good. Here's the idea. Here's kind of the picture. The idea is, is that these priests are going to have a damaged legacy. The idea is that as a leader, as a father, I want to give a benediction to my, kid, my kids. I want to give a legacy to my kids. And so what I want to do is I want to impart to them all of the, the words of wisdom that I can give and all of the best beneficial advice that I can give. And I want to, I want the best for them. And, and, and what, what God is saying is, look, you, you've got hard hearts. You, you've got closed ears. You won't listen to what I want to do. You're trying to remake me in your own image and, and you're behaving horribly. And the consequence to you is, is that you aren't going to have a benediction to give. Your desire is that your kids would walk in the ways of the Lord and be blessed, but basically what you're going to be doing, you're not going to be giving them a benediction of, 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 of encouragement and something that builds them up, rather you're going to damage the legacy. And we see this in King David. King David lived in a way that, that you know, he followed the Lord and he honored the Lord. He was called a man after God's own heart, but he made some horrible sinful decisions. Chief among them was that he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he killed her husband to try and get away with it. And later on, are we and should we be surprised when David's sons go off the deep end and start behaving in a horrible way? He he did his sons a gross injustice by the way that he lived his life. This is exactly what's happening here. God says, "I'm going to curse your blessings." He says, yes, I've cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. Verse three, behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feasts. Okay, here's the picture. When when you would, in the Levitical system, present your offering to God, inevitably, when you would slaughter the animal within the innards of the animal were some things within the intestinal tract that were destined to become waste, okay? Uh, that's the most tactful way that I can put it. And so the Bible's very particular that that's not to be part of the offering that you present to God. And so you're to clean all of that out, and you're to take that refuse out, and you're to burn it outside of the sanctuary. And so the picture here what God is painting here is he says I'm going to take because your life is that thing that's that's you know an offering to God, right? And so I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all that refuse and I'm just going to rub your nose in it. I'm going to spread it all over your face. And the picture is you're unclean, you're dirty, you've, you've, you've completely defiled yourself. And so what it is, is let's just, let, let's just put it on your face so that everybody can see, and that means you're out, man. And the, the issue here is he says, he says, this about their descendants, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your face. Now people might read that and they go, oh, well, why is God punishing their kids? Here's the scary thing, and you can't miss this. This is, this is chief cornerstone to our message here today. The priest drove their car off the cliff, and the kids are driving the car off the cliff after them. And so the thing is, is that what, he, what, they, what he's saying is, look, it's bad enough that you guys have train, wreck, train wrecked your life, but you've taught your kids how to do it now too. And now your kids have issues with me, because they, by their own accord, by your leading... They've, they've, they've done the same thing that you've done. And now my relationship with them isn't right either. So now not only am I going to judge you, but now I've got to judge them. So how do, we, uh, how do we take a walk with this right now, application-wise? We're looking at priests. We're looking at spiritual leaders. We're looking at pastors of churches. Hey, we're looking at you too. We're looking at you as a leader of your home. We're looking at you as leader of your kids. Listen, we need to be aware. It's not so much what you say, it's what you do. And we have to just be very soberly reminded that we can be training our kids to go in a direction that's going to get them to a place where they're going to have to give an account to God and they could be in this kind of trouble as well. The big idea is if you follow the wrong people, you may well follow them into a place of sin and separation from God. The Apostle Paul said this to the Corinthians. He said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So if you're going to follow someone, you want to make sure they're worthy of following, right? Here's the corollary point. When someone is following you, you have to make sure that you're worthy of being followed. Again, Paul said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. That's a humbling thought, isn't it? Think about that. Man, what if everybody did imitate you? <laughs> That's the, what we're just writing down, taking a walk with this week. What, what if everybody imitated me? And not the you that you project to everybody else. The you that you know you to be. Think just answer that question. You don't have to answer anybody else. What if everybody imitated you? What if they acted just like you? What if they prayed just like you? What if they read their Bible just like you? What if they witnessed like you? You say, well, Paul can say that. He wrote two thirds of the New Testament, right? Paul wasn't God. He's still a sinner like you and me. Paul's still a man. Yeah, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But he's still a man who struggled with his temper. He's still a guy who said things he shouldn't have said, who did things that he shouldn't have done. He's Still a guy who, who, if he were here, would lose it on the 91 freeway, just like some of us have done. I mean, he's the guy that said in the scriptures, I'm the chief of all sinners. He's the guy that said in the scriptures, that that I want to do, I don't do. That that I don't want to do, that's what I do. What a wretched man I am. Paul said all of these things. But the scriptures show something else about the apostle Paul. They show Paul lamenting over his sin. They show Paul repenting of his sin. We see him praying. We see him working. The book of Proverbs says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. My question for you is, do the people in your life see that? Dads, that's what your kids need to see. It's what your wives need to see. It's what your family needs to see, what your friends need to see. Listen, nobody who knows me will ever say that I'm perfect. (laughs) Not by a long shot. But I'll tell you what they will say. They'll say that there's fruit in my life. They'll say that my kids love the Lord. That I've raised them to know him, to follow him, to serve him. They'll say that, that, that Brenda and I love each other. They'll say that, man, we're committed to our marriage. They'll say he's quick to say he's sorry. He's quick to try and make things right. The world's starving to see somebody who just honestly lives out their level best trying to walk after the Lord. And so we have to be really, really careful in how we follow. How do we follow the Lord? Because you're setting an example. Some questions to consider as we close. I'll put them up on the screen for you. I really want you to take a walk with them this week. Is there any area in my life or I'm guilty of having closed ears and a hard heart. In other words, are there areas that God can't speak into because you don't want to change? Next question. If my kids followed my example, would it lead them closer to God or it would lead them would it lead them away from him? We'll leave these up. Next question. Am I guilty of dealing treacherously with the wife, and I might add the husband, of my youth? Next question. Outside of infidelity, do I consider divorce an option in my marriage? By the way, if you answer yes to that, I'd direct you back to question number one. Malachi closes verse 16 saying, therefore take heed to your spirit. I'm reminded of a story that took place in Luke chapter 9. Jesus was rejected by the Samaritans. And you see James and John and they go to Jesus and they say, you want us to call down fire on them?" And the Lord looks at James and John and he says, you don't know of what kind of spirit you are right now. For us, we need to take that to heart because there's a lot of times when we behave in a certain way and we think it's right and we think it's righteous and the Lord might say to us as well, you don't know what kind of a spirit you are right now. In other words, man, you are so much in the flesh, this has nothing to do with me. And so God's word to us here through the prophet Malachi is we need to take heed to our spirit. We need to make sure we're following godly men, godly women, And that we ourselves are setting an example of someone who's worthy to follow. Because listen, people are following you. Whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, people follow you. And the way you live makes a difference. The way I live makes a difference. The way we live matters.